Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 81 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again, in my own highly biased opinion, I think I have a hot banana of a show lined up for you today. And yes, this is a good thing, hot banana. If you follow my Twitter or Instagram social media feeds, you will have seen that this week I posted a picture of my new favourite thing. Yes, indeed, it is a jar of hot banana ketchup. Yes, you heard me correctly, hot banana ketchup. I put it on virtually anything, but it goes particularly well with sweet potato fries and barbecued chicken. It will be coming on tour with me and my family as we head off uh, around France in coming weeks, and it'll be adorning many a plate of mine. So yes, we will be away for a couple of weeks. The show will be away as as I'm going to be away. Um, We'll be back in two weeks' time, though, with a very special edition indeed. More about that later on. On to today, in a short while, I'll be sharing with you this week's interview with my guest, Gary Coles. Then we'll have this week's hypnosis in the news stories, examining the media where hypnosis is featured. I'm going to offer up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis is portrayed in the media, but also comment on some of the content of those media stories. We then return with our professional discussion with my guest, Gary Coles. We'll be talking about his research and his work using hypnotherapy with people diagnosed with cancer. We'll round things off with this week's hypnosis evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell for a couple of weeks, as I've been saying, as I've been labouring. As I say at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub and all of whom following their time here on Hypnosis weekly I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions along with related links are posted at each episode on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. That's just hypnosisweekly with a hyphen in the middle.com. You can add your thoughts, comments and make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy this podcast, please do go give us a favourable rating, even a review at iTunes. I'll be a BFF if you do. Um, It takes just a couple of seconds, one or two clicks to give us a favourable rating, and it does us a lot of good. So first of all today then, uh, this week's interview with Gary Coles. Um, I had heard some wonderful feedback about Gary's presentation at last year's UK Hypnosis Convention, and I was unable to, to make and attend. Um, It was on a topic that really appealed to me as well. And what with him having studied and obtained a master's degree with his research in our field, I was keen to have him on the show. Him and I are going to talk about his specialist subject of hypno-oncology later on in today's show. But first up, I'm going to be interviewing Gary. Uh, We're going to be talking all about hypnosis and him. So for now, 
Get comfy, my friends. Turn up the volume. Sip on your tea. Enjoy this week's interview. So, as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to welcome to Hypnosis Weekly this week's guest, the one and only Mr. Gary Coles. Gary, welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Hello, Adam. Thanks for inviting me on. So um, tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all. Tell us a little bit about how you got into this field, um, what your background is, and how you've arrived at, at where you are now. Uh, right. Well, it's it's probably not your typical hypnotherapy story. I mean, I'd be absolutely lying if I said I've always wanted to be a hypnotherapist or, you know, that this was my calling or something like that. Yeah. Um, to be totally honest, it was a complete and utter accident. <laughs> uh, but it was something that I found I was good at. And a lot of things tended to fall strangely into place. Uh, I mean, the, the basic story behind it is my, um, up, up to about 15 years ago, uh, I was an IT consultant in the oil industry. Um, right. You know. And that's an obvious move to go from that to hypnotherapy. <laughs> of course. Um, but um, it, I was in a situation where the company had been bought out several times and basically they decided they wanted to outsource the consultancy to, to the Far East because it was cheaper. Um, so I found myself out of work. Um, I, I was lucky enough to have a decent payoff. So uh, I didn't have to panic about sort of finding a job for a while. Yeah. And, uh, and I had no idea of what I wanted to do apart from the fact that I thought I'd quite like to work for myself. Um, then it was around Christmas time and I actually set up a, an IT web store. I set up a, um, some, some web shops selling books for Christmas and, and gifts and things like that just for amusement and to turn things over. Uh, and Christmas came and went and January came and I thought, what do I sell on a web store in January? And out of the blue, I was offered a job lot of hypnotherapy CDs for quit smoking and weight loss. Oh. Uh, I, I was surprised at how well they sold. Uh, and that sort of pricked an interest in it again, because I'd had books, uh, as you sort of probably do as a teenager and things, you had books on all sorts of weird, wonderful subjects. So that, that pricked up my ears a little bit. And uh, so I got the books out, went through those again. Then I happened to see there was an introductory course being offered um, by a, a psychologist locally, uh, which I thought I, I'd go along and attend. Um, and I was quite fascinated because I was very sceptical. Um, but I had an issue. Uh, where I used to have sort of quite severe nightmares. It never really bothered me, um, but I would wake up at night sort of punching, kicking, shouting and things like that. Um, but again, it hadn't really bothered me. And uh, one of the things we, we did at, um, at the introductory course was they decided that uh, the psychologist was going to work on any issues. Um, now, that's the only one I had. So I told him about that. Uh, we did a whole afternoon of working together and I was very sceptical. I didn't feel hypnotized. Um, I didn't appear to respond to a lot of the techniques he was doing. Uh, and, and I told him that uh, I didn't even feel as I wanted to keep my eyes closed. And, and I just thought the thing was a whole lot of rubbish, to be honest. Um, and it was only a, a couple of weeks later when I realized that I hadn't had a single nightmare since that I thought the may actually something <laughs> in this. <laughs> yeah. um, so um, so that, that really sold me on it. Um, I then went back to him um, to, to do a diploma and an advanced diploma uh, at the time. Um, and then some other strange things happened. Um, the first thing was a, a couple of weeks after I, I qualified at a basic level, um, I was phoned by a local hospital um, saying that um, we understood that, understand you're a hypnotherapist and we, we want one in our oncology unit because we've had one they've left. Uh, would you donate some time to us? And I must admit, I was rather mercenary at the time. And I thought, yeah, ideal. Um, I can go and donate some time to them uh, because I'll be seeing lots of lots of patients there. That'll build up my experience very, very quickly. Uh, and then I'll be off again. 
Um, so that was my original plan. And um, 12 years later, I'm still in the oncology unit, <laughs> uh, see, seeing people on, on, a, on a weekly basis. Um, that had a follow on that I was then contacted by a quite a well-known hypnotherapist from America who found that I was was working on an oncology unit and wanted me to do some case studies for them. Um, so I did that. Um, that then um, they, they took me under their wing and taught me uh, a lot of their techniques that they perfected. Um, one of the things that also happened, I get, then got um, taken to a party in Harley Street uh, where I was introduced to one of the daytime TV doctors. Um, he became one of my patients. Um, then he inv invited me to join his Harley Street practice. Um, and Brilliant. then um, I just had a fascination of, of doing sort of some research and getting more involved. And uh, then I found that there was a chance of actually studying clinical hypnosis academically um, with the University of West London. Um, yeah. So I then uh, became a mature student part-time uh, for four and a half years and um, uh, and have now, or a few years ago, got, got my master of science uh, degree in clinical hypnosis and psychology Brilliant. Uh, Brilliant. And, and that was really based on the, the, the research and dissertation i did was um, again oncology based because of the, the hospital background that i have yeah yeah oh wow wow you know i i love hearing about that kind of thing and we're going to we're going to explore this subject matter which mm. i'm really excited about asking you about um later on in the show so so Tell us a little bit about wh where you're at as far as hypnosis is concerned then. Um, um, so, so how do you define hypnosis and, and how have you arrived at that? Or, or, or how do you explain hypnosis to your clients or, or, or people that ask you? Um, generally, I, I, it's the usual sort of cliches, really. It's not like the stuff you see on the television. Um, and it, it depends on the, the type of person I'm working with. Um, obviously, some people are, are very much into alternative ther therapies and you can explain to them sort of quite easily. Whereas I find that... Um, I want to go down a much more sort of scientific background to it um, because uh, a lot of um, patients I see in hospital are, are rather sceptical about it anyway uh, and they've only generally come to see me because their surgeon or somebody has recommended um, me to them. Uh, and one of my other practices is actually also um, within a, a GP surgery. Uh, so I get a lot of um, GP referrals Great. and again, people that perhaps wouldn't have thought of hypnotherapy and are a little bit nervous about the, the concept of hypnotherapy. Yeah. Um, so essentially, the way I tend to explain it to them is that it's an altered state of awareness um, that, you, that they can put themselves in. Um, I'm just the facilitator. Um, so they're in full control, but we're going to use the power of their mind uh, to make cha positive changes in, in their life, whatever it is that they actually want to change. Uh, and then I explain to them perhaps about the, the different sort of areas, uh, giving it perhaps examples to them. Um, I would explain a little bit about the sort of the, the basic concepts of NLP and perhaps give them a, a couple of little sort of uh, exercises or so, some ideas on, on, on concepts on that, on how it works. Um, teach them about suggestion, which is the, the thing that most people will understand anyway. Yeah. Uh, and then I normally give a, a little insight um, into analytical hypnotherapy um, because I, I'm, I'm quite a favourite. I know a, a lot of hypnotherapy tends to divide now into solution focused um, or psychoanalytical. Uh, and I, I personally find that a mixture of both works best for me. Sure. Uh, and I must admit, I would use a, tend to use a little bit of psychoanalytical work with most sort of cases that I deal with. Um, but although saying that pretty much outside of the oncology arena, um, certainly with oncology, um, it, would t it tends to be more NLP and pure suggestion. Um, yeah. Because of the, the nature of the beast, you know, there, there's no re there's no need to go around looking for what triggered things off because pretty much you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, um, I, 
I, I, you know, with regards to that, then, you know, tell us about some of your influences. How, how have you been influenced? What are some of the books, some of the authors that have taught you the most or perhaps some of the teachers that have been the most influential upon you that, that have helped you arrive um, 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 at, at that? Um, again, it, it, I've been through quite a lot of people. Um, uh, I, I, Hassan Aladdin has done a lot of research and he's been quite influential. I've um, yeah. seen him speak a number of times at the, yeah. the Royal Society of Medicine. Um, and Yapco is, is another one uh, that, that I quite like. Um, actual for personal teaching, my, my original teaching um, was a, a guy called Dr. Keith Hearn, who uh, originally did a lot of um, sleep research and dream research, which is actually on display in the Science Museum. Mm. Um, he's more of a, a traditional um, psychoanalytical hypnotherapist uh, and, a, and a psychologist. Um, he was my original influence. Um, uh, although he was he was very much into psychoanalytical work uh, and very anti NLP approaches, um, so so tended to be not so much in in the way of solution focused. So that that was my initial background. Um, then I was influenced a lot by Valerie Austin, uh, who now lives mo mainly in the States. Um, and I liked the fact that she, she was well known um, in the 70s and 80s for, for quit smoking in an hour. Mm. And I, I quite liked the way that she packaged ways so that, that somebody could be interchanged with other therapists for, for sort of ba very basic level things. And I, I found that quite interesting, although I, I disagree that it's a one size fits all uh, type of therapy, uh, but it can be useful to ha have set protocols and approaches to, to actually work as a basis for people. Uh, and I like the way that she put that together. Um, and then I, fr from there, I, I did a lot of um, stuff with the, the LCCH, um, Peter Mabbott and people there. Uh, and uh, like the fact that um, we, we also have a, had a lady, Dr. Anna, who's sadly no longer with us. Uh, who was very much an authoritarian uh, hypnotherapist. She was also a, a Russian doctor. Mm. Uh, and I, I found her very influential uh, in, in style and, and understanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the, the, the really interesting, really wide and varied um, hmm. um, array of different different influences there. Tell me, what's been, what's been one of the most impressive applications of hypnosis that you've directly witnessed? I mean, bearing in mind some of the environments that you've been working in, um, I, I've been really excited and, and anticipating asking you this question. Um, t tell us, tell us, what one of the most impressive applications of hypnosis that you've that you've directly witnessed? Uh, well, there's all sorts of things in different areas. I mean, um, one of the areas that I get enjoyment of is, is I um, do hypnosis as um, sports hypnosis, um, mm. which, which is uh, an interesting one I've been seemingly doing more and more of recently. Mm. Um, a couple of cases I've got there is I recently worked with an ice hockey player uh, who'd come back from injury and uh, was getting very, very slated in the press as being one of the worst imports the team had ever had. And uh, he did some sessions with me and sent me a, a lovely photograph of him receiving the Player of the Month award for the first time in his career. Awesome. Uh, and, uh, and also um, another gentleman that I'm working with at the moment is a, a motorcycle. Uh, racer uh, who got dropped from the British team last year was uh, again was getting very disillusioned with the, the whole thing uh, come to see me initially um, ended up um, coming fourth in the European Championships last year and uh, decided to book me for the entire season this year and uh, I, I saw him in the week and he's now through to the the finals of the World Championships um, uh, in, in the Grand Prix area and uh, looking forward to the European he's actually won four, four out of the uh, six races that he's uh, done so far this season great so so, so that that's working really well yeah uh, and i suppose on the, the completely the other side of it um would be sort of some of the differences you can make in the oncology arena 
um, some, some of the people obviously going through their cancer journey. Uh, and I can think of a couple and perhaps we'll, we'll come back to that after. I mean, there's one in particular uh, that, that I think can, can show how hypnosis can at least resolve sort of internal conflicts in people. I mean, there's, a, there's one case study that I can give that we may give later, which is actually incredibly sad, but I think it was also a very powerful hypnotherapy experience, both both for me and, and the person involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I um, 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 I, 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 I just love hearing stuff like that. Um, um, it's really, you know, I find it really satisfying as well. Um, 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 Gary, if, if you could go back to when you started out on this journey, mm. um, um, back to when you started out as a hypnotherapist or, or exploring becoming the, the idea of becoming a hypnosis professional, knowing, um, n knowing the stuff that you know now, having had the experience, the education that you have now, um, is there anything you'd do differently? And if so, what? Is there any advice that the person that you are today would give to that younger you? Um, and, and, and would you mind sharing some of that or offering some of that to our listeners? I don't think there's anything I would do differently in it. Um, I think that the things that that I have learned that is important is I think learn with a number of different people um, because they, everybody has different styles. I mean, it amuses me that you see a lot of the online forums, lots of arguments about who's the best and which style and which approach and which technique. Um, it doesn't matter that the, the best technique and, and sometimes I get slated for, for putting it for very basic questions that I see sometimes online. As far as I'm concerned, the best approach or the best technique is the one that works. <laughs> you know, sure, it's, sure. it's it's not, it's not it's not rocket science you know there, there is no one size fits all do the one that works um i think uh, so certainly and i would also recommend learning different approaches so I, I would recommend that it's useful to know nlp it's useful to know solution focused it's useful to know analytical uh, approaches um but i would also say having done the masters that i find it very very useful um to go to, to a much greater depth so to understand if, if you like the physiology physiological aspects of, of certain illnesses or certain things that people are going to come and see you for um, because that way I find that uh, you get a lot more credibility with doctors surgeons oncologists and so on and, and so forth and it gives you a greater understanding if you, if you know the background of something of, of the techniques that you can actually apply to, to work with it and I find unfortunately so many hypnotherapists have done you know one of these very fast sort of sausage factory type courses yes. uh, they knock them out and they've le learnt some techniques which they, they seem to apply to absolutely every issue that's forced in front of them uh, and wonder why they don't work or think that it has worked in five minutes but hasn't haven't followed it up and wonder why they never hear from the person again um, whereas you know I, I think it, it's it's much better to have longer courses but but much much more in depth of the reasons behind why you're doing what you're doing yeah. You know, really, really almost from from sort of psychological, physiological uh, and emotional point of view for, for whatever issue you're dealing with. Yeah. Um, I think I think as part um, as, as part of sort of advice, I think uh, a couple of things that, that I think are, are very relevant. And I try to think who, who um, actually gave them to me. I think it might have been jo um, Jonathan Chase, uh, the stage hypnotist. Um, a couple of a couple of things was the, the very first one is always have a plan B, C and D. Um, to whatever technique or approach you're using and the other one which I think is very relevant because uh, if a client is in front of you and they lose confidence in you, you you've lost them uh, so I think the very important thing on the confidence side is whatever happens in the session uh, whatever ad reaction or wh whether they don't go into trance whatever happens that's what you must uh, make the client think should have happened uh, <laughs> and, and yeah. that I think brilliant advice so yeah. as long as whatever happens they think is what should have happened then then it's great yeah 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 um 
um, um, some interesting stuff there. I think um, um, I have, you know, there, there's so much in there, you know, for, for people listening to this, um, um, go back and listen to that, go back and listen to those, that, you know, so many really real golden nuggets in there um, um, that you crammed into that. Um, um, Gary, we're going to be talking um, 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 about hypno-oncology and you, you, <coughs> some of your specialist subjects in a moment. Um, j j just tell me, for the moment, um, where can people go to learn more about you, your work, your approach to hypnosis? Uh, well, generally, uh, probably my Facebook page is is the best place to go, which is obviously facebook.com slash release hypnotherapy. Um, I do have a releasehypnotherapy.com website, but I'm afraid it's so out of date and so so ancient that I, I would recommend going to my Facebook page rather than that at the moment. Sure, sure. Because um, I'm just so busy with people, I haven't had time to update it for a number of years. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, we will make sure that there is a link to, uh, to, to, to both of those pages, in fact, um, over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. Go check Gary out. And um, um, thank you for now, Gary. We will be back with Gary Coles. We're going to be talking hypno-oncology, in some depth and detail in just a few minutes time stay tuned I really enjoyed that. More from Gary shortly. Um, onto this week's hypnosis in the news then. This week I am citing a couple of stories that have a similar theme that have featured in the media uh, recently. Um, and one story in particular is, is ongoing and, and of great interest to us, or at least it ought to be in my opinion. A couple of editions back in the Jeff Jordan uh, edition, I spoke about hypnosis not guaranteeing the veracity of memory. And um, there was some really important stuff quoted in my commentary there. And I'm going to echo a couple couple of those points um, um, today. So excuse excuse a, a small degree of duplicity. Um, just this week, then, um, a story was mentioned, um, was written about in the Daily Mail that I think is really important and has not actually received much attention from hypnotherapists. Um, it's entitled, Prosecutors Agree to Toss Conviction in 1979 Cabbie Slaying. Um, there's a link to the article over at uh, this, this week's edition of the Hypnosis Week. Um, um, website. And, and in short, um, um, this is a story about yet another conviction that has been overturned based upon um, significant doubt now being placed upon the fairness of the trial, including the reliance on a witness who had been hypnotised. Um, do give the story a read. Um, give it a Google even, because the, the court notes do make for some interesting reading. It so happened as well. And there must be some um, cosmic forces at work. Um, also yesterday, that, that, that someone on the Charles Don Flores defence team also commented um, um, on, on a blog that I'd written um, um, about his case and updated me on that retrial. Um, if you want a good source for the backstory of that case um, with a load of references, I've included some links over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website also. Now, I've been following this case for a while, not just because of the contentious nature of it, but because hypnosis features a lot in the media coverage of this case. There is a single eyewitness to have implicated Flores in the murder um, um, and, and gave her initial testimony while hypnotised by a police officer of the force um, and the force that were conducting the investigation. 
In, in this case, the way hypnosis was used to elicit the eyewitness testimony was, was problematic. As the defence demonstrated, the way the hypnosis session was conducted violated several standards laid out um, in previous cases where a ruling was made that hypnosis sessions are to be conducted by independent facilitators, not by the investigating police department, as was the case here. We all know how the facilitator can lead in a way that creates problem um, with with the veracity of the testimony given. In Texas, the law is such that the hypnosis session also has to be held outside a law enforcement atmosphere with only the subject and the hypnotist present, and this did not happen. Again, context can dramatically affect hypnosis sessions. These issues, however, ought not even need to be discussed um, because hypnosis should not really be used for eliciting eyewitness testimony anyway. Um, the evidence against using hypnosis for seeming forensic purposes is, is damning. As I spoke about um, previously, um, hypnosis has been associated with memory recall and also memory alteration as far back as Bernheim and Janet. Uh, whether hypnosis should or should not be used to recover memories, uh, memories has become a real major thread of debate among hypnotherapists, psychotherapists, hypnosis academics and researchers for the past 50 years, um, much more vigorously in recent times, and especially since you know, the biggest litigation cases in psychiatric history in the US um, back in the 1990s. Now, despite a huge amount of evidence findings that I'll mention again, um, I'm shortly, and again, excuse that duplicity, um, I'm, you know, that, that that will be aimed more at those who missed uh, the edition a couple back. Um, hypnosis is still very popularly used as a means of recovering memory, and many clients and patients of hypnotherapists actually request this type of approach. Um, First and foremost, you know, it, it ought to be said that modern day cognitive science tends to suggest that memory is fallible and is also reconstructive in nature. Um, you just need to look at the work of Lynn and McConkie, 1998, for example, um, and that's very strongly supported by, by much other evidence, too. However, not only is memory reconstructive, and, and, and by that we... That's referring to the fact that we create our memories based upon the person we are today. We, we view the, the past through the lens of today, duly filtering it and fitting it to how and, and, and who we are today. But there's also the potential of hypnosis to increase confidence in inaccurate um, memories. That is, to, to increase our confidence that they are accurate. Um, studies suggest that, even if they are inaccurate, and, and studies suggest that hypnosis can even convince people that things which did not actually occur did. You know, and there's some really strong studies by Lawrence and Perry in the 80s, McConkie, Barnier and Sheehan in the 90s um, that support this. And it's been shown that hypnosis actually brings more memories up. It brings more material into awareness when employed as a memory retrieval tool. So that's correct and incorrect material are both brought up in larger quantities when hypnosis is used. Yet hypnotic recall itself is proven to be no more accurate than non-hypnotic recall. And there are reviews upon this, and in particularly the, 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 the 1994 Erderly Review um, and the Stably Bothwell Review, um, who, who each reviewed 24 and 34 studies respectively. 
And as I stated previously, you know, hypnosis does tend to increase the individual's confidence that those memories are real and authentic. Um, and again, that has studies to support it. White House Dinger's Orn um, in 1988, for example. And the previous... The previously quoted research that I've sort of been referring to here does tend to suggest that those that are hypnotized are just as likely um, as as though as, as non-hypnotized individuals to be misled by their own recall. And this has been repeatedly tested. And even when highly emotional experiences were being recalled in numerous studies um, conducted and repeated by Stephen J. Lynn and his colleagues in the late 90s, hypnosis did not improve recall quality when compared with non-hypnotic recall. Now, what's what's more problematic is that some researchers have found that when hypnosis is used to regress individuals to early life experiences, those memories can be distorted when hypnotized. Um, and some really strong studies have shown that Nash Drake and colleagues in the 1980s in particular. All these hypnosis related issues do not even take into account the heavily researched topic of imagination inflation. Imagination inflation, which has shown that when anyone is asked to recall fictitious events, they gradually develop more confidence in them being real. If you want a review on, on that subject, see Gary and Polishek, um in, in the year 2000 for a, v- a review on that topic. What I've written here and what I've been talking about here is far from exhaustive. Uh, There's much more that can be said. Yet this evidence has been enough to ensure that in the vast majority of the Western world today, hypnosis is not used for memory recall um, in eyewitness testimony any longer. And you know what else? Anyone can simply lie when hypnotized. We know that hypnosis does not guarantee that the person will tell the truth. It does not somehow um, inject honesty and ethics into the individual or the case. So in in this Flores case, um, a lot of these points that I've made here did not really come into play because the eyewitness testimony that was given when hypnotized gave a description that was nothing like the accused. The eyewitness testimony given via hypnosis was not usable in court because it was a wholly inaccurate description that was nothing like the accused man Flores. However, after she had been in court, she stated that she suddenly recognized Flores, the accused, in court and was willing to testify against him. Now, Flores' defence team, during one of the later appeals, submitted testimony from Edward Gieselman, a UCLA professor and leading expert on witness interviewing, who interestingly suggested that by being hypnotised, it could have made the eyewitness believe she should be able to recognise the accused. And then when presented with the distinct Latino man sitting in front of her in court, who she'd seen on TV screens for months before the trial, it was easy for her to believe it was him that she'd seen on the day of the murders. Now, if you read the media reports and explore some of the court notes available online, you'll see that this case has much more to it than the, than issues with hypnosis. It's it, you know it's it's virtually a candidate for Netflix to do making of a murderer too. But I wanted to comment upon the hypnosis component of it. In short, you know, hypnosis ought not really be used to elicit eyewitness testimony. I could understand it being used to help someone relax in order to be able to think more clearly. But even then, it shouldn't be used for eyewitness testimony. Um, um, 
and and but my point was, and the reason that I mentioned this this week in line with the the the, the earlier mentioned story um, about the overturned murder conviction, um, it, things get curiouser and curiouser as I received a comment this week on my blog um, on this subject from a member of the defence or the, the the support team of Charles Don Flores, who who, who wrote and 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 I will share the comment. I, I will read you the comment. Um, it goes like this. Charles Don Flores' evidentiary hearing has been set for October the 11th, 2017. Flores' legal team will present scientific evidence through the world's leading scientific expert on hypnosis and recovered memory, Dr. Stephen Lin, that the only eyewitness identification was tainted by a hypnosis technique that has been completely discredited and proven to be harmful by the cognitive scientists and the larger psychological community. Hypnosis was one of the many suggestive identification procedures the police and prosecutors used on this lone eyewitness, which created the false memory of Flores and produced the false identification. Because this information is new scientific evidence that would have resulted in Flores' acquittal if he were tried today, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals sent his case back to the original trial court for this evidentiary hearing. Um, and, and they give a link to to to, to their website, um, um, which, which gives more information on the case. Um, um, it's it, it's from their stance, you know, from from a defence and supporting stance. However, so now a case is being given whereby the defence team are bringing in Stephen J. Lynn as an expert witness to suggest that that the hypnosis created a false memory and invalidate the only eyewitness case. Um, now, I'm going to be fascinated to see how this pans out in court because a really strong case can be given in this instance and is likely to see um, um, Charles Don Flores, you know, or, or, or potentially brought off of death row and maybe even freed. I think all of this is really important to us in the hypnosis field. It has important implications for the validity of so-called forensic hypnosis, whereby more and more cases are being thrown out and being disputed when hypnosis is involved. I think we really, really need to reconsider its application in these types of instances. Um, Links to all of these stories, a whole bunch of links um, to these stories and related links are given over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. Go have a good geek out with it all. Um, Next up, uh, then, we have this week's professional discussion. I welcome back Gary Coles. You know, there are some major considerations for hypnotherapists that ever advertise um, that they work with or, 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 or even offer to work with those that have been diagnosed with cancer. In particular, you know, of course, we can make no claims about cures um, and, and, and sometimes even mentioning the word cancer on our websites will flag the interest of advertising standards agency uh, and potentially land you in trouble. So it was really great to see Gary Coles working so ethically, um, so considerately in this area while also researching and working alongside conventional medical professionals within the NHS. There's so much that I wanted to ask Gary about his approach and his research um, and I wish I'd asked him more and that I had recorded the discussions that I had with him off air about some specific case studies uh, that him and I discussed. Um, There's still plenty here to enjoy and benefit from I assure you. So here is this week's professional discussion about hypno-oncology with Gary Coles. Enjoy. So 
So I'm back with Gary Coles now. We're going to be talking uh, all things hypno-oncology, something Gary alluded to a couple of times in our interview segment earlier on in the show. Um, welcome back, Gary. First of all, um, what, what are we talking about? When we talk about hypno-oncology, for people that don't know, um, um, or for, for any of us laymans out there, can you just explain a little bit, perhaps define it, or, or, or just give us a kind of rough outline with regards to what are we talking about, what do we mean? Yeah, okay. Well, I, th I think probably the easiest way is to say what it isn't. Um, I mean, hypno-oncology essentially is, is a phrase that I've coined um, for using hypnosis with, with cancer patients. Now, the thing that it isn't and the thing that irritates me hugely is it is not treating cancer. It is, is not working directly with the cancer. Uh, there is a Cancer Act in the UK. So to actually say that you treat cancer patients is actually illegal. Um, you can get prosecuted for it. Uh, and it really irritates me uh, when I see uh, online things, um, which I, I think uh, are really preying on very desperate, vulnerable people. Um, I see hypnotherapy things um, online. And I've actually come across it at other conferences, uh, conferences from time to time, where I've seen people saying, oh, we, we can treat cancer. We can what we need to do is regress the person to before the cancer happened, find out how it, why it happened and then deal with it so it will start regressing and going away. Um, now, I'm not saying that, that, you know, occasionally that is not it is not possible. It, you know, it may work. There's a lot of things about the body and the mind body link that we don't understand. Um, but none of that is has been empirically tested. So. Mm. Basically, we're, we're just selling snake oil in, in that case. Yes. Um, so the way I see hypno-oncology is we're working with the cancer patient uh, on their cancer journey. Uh, we're a complementary therapy. We're not there uh, to, to take anything else out of the equation. We're working with the surgeons. We're working with the oncologists. Uh, we're working with the chemotherapy or the, the, the other sort of therapies that they might be going through. Uh, and we're there purely to, to support all that. Um, but again, it, we're looking from a holistic approach. So we're doing the whole mind-body approach to their cancer journey. So really, we're, we're sort of looking at the psychological, the physiological and the emotional aspects of their cancer journey uh, and actually using hypnosis uh, as an adjunct to all the other treatment that's going on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know that's um, you said a lot there. That was really music, music to my ears. Tell me, Good. tell me a little bit about about how your interest developed then, because you know I, I'm guessing because of some of the reasons that you've stated. Anybody that perhaps has a degree of responsibility or or, or has any kind of a leaning towards an evidence base might be inclined on occasion actually to give this kind of subject matter. Uh, a wide berth you, you know you know how how has your interest developed is it because of that that access that you had that we were speaking about in the in the interview uh, yeah, it's a combination of things. I, th I think where the interest sort of moved on was really, I mean, the, the first reasons uh, was I wanted to get experience as a hypnotherapist. And I was given the opportunity to, to work um, w within the NHS, um, but with a charity unit um, in an oncology unit uh, locally to myself. Um, my original idea was just to, to go there for a few weeks, but I was quite interested to go there because I, I've been through it myself with family members. I, I sadly lost my mother in uh, a, a quite a young age uh, through cancer so went through that whole journey with, with my family oh. uh, and I have had other members of the family also much older ones but have still gone down similar things so yeah. um, the opportunity to, to actually do something meaningful uh, quite sort of pricked my eyes up a little bit as well 
Um, but the main reason was I, I wanted to get experience and thought it would be a good area to go in. Um, and I'd since found, as I mentioned, sort of 12 years later, I'm still there. Um, but uh, the whole journey then become fascinating because I could see the differences um, that I, I could make to, to cancer patients. Yeah actually using hypnosis uh, and that uh, made me more interested in looking at, at the research behind it which was then when I took on my masters uh, and one of the areas I actually did which which really fascinated me is um, I, I had to do some primary research and and uh, a dissertation for the masters mm. um, I decided to, to make it really difficult for myself um, because I decided I wanted to do some sort of medical research within the NHS mm. uh, now, certainly my mentors said that they thought there wasn't going to be enough time and ethics would be an issue and uh, and in fact uh, I had one one person a friend of mine um, I practice at um, one of my practices at um, the same venue uh, as um, Windy Dryden who a lot of people will know yeah uh, who's a, sort of the, the CBT guy yeah, um, well, and yeah. I was I was chatting to him about it um, because he's a, a, also a lecturer in that type of area uh, and I said to Wendy what I was planning to do and uh, he turned turned around to me he said if, uh, if you were one of my students I'd have told you not to have been so bloody stupid yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and that sort of in one way it sort of disheartened me but in the other way it really spurred me on yeah, I thought well, I'm going to prove them all wrong and uh, so the research that I that I actually did was, was I did um research into pre-surgical hypnosis and the effects that it had on recovery quality in breast cancer operations and uh, and and that was quite fascinating and i, I was yeah. able to to, to to give a very good indication that we could make quite a good measurable difference uh, to people on that particular journey excellent uh, and so, and, and as part of that, um, it was very useful because it was quite difficult from the ethics point of view to, to recruit. I found sort of the initial problem I had was that um, some of the surgeons were quite anti when, when I pitched the idea forward. Yeah. And one of the professors, um, very old school, it was uh, to him, hypnotherapy, that's woo-woo stuff, you know, it's got no place in here. In here. Uh, but I, I had to have an interview with um, one of the head surgeons um, as, as part of doing my pitch, who gave me such a hard time um, I thought there's no way this this is going to come through um, but I think it was just testing me to see how valid uh, my research was going to be how much effort I'd put into it and and, and, and whether it was realistic rather than just sort of wasting their time because yeah. um, eventually I found that uh, most of the surgeons actually came on board uh, and they were actually changing their um, their elective list round to actually accommodate me and all sorts of other things wow. uh, and I was also at that point uh, invited for a period I think it was about eight or nine months um, I, I was invited to join the um, breast cancer multidisciplinary team um, so I got to attend all the, the case meetings and so on uh, which Brilliant. gave me quite a good insight and background into into what what happens with the diagnosis and the planning uh, and the journey and, and, and prognosis and so on yeah. uh, so, that, so that gave me a good background in, in what I needed to know to to actually assist the the patients much further. So uh, eventually, yes, uh, we got the, we got the majority of them on the side um, to the extent where I've had one of the surgeons asking me whether I'd be interested in doing more research, and uh, and quite a lot of them actually uh, recommending hypnotherapy to their patients. Brilliant, brilliant. You know, that's um, leading by example um, um, and, and and being involved from the from the sort of inside. Um, I'm wonderful to hear. You know, um, I. I 
I very often, for some of the reasons that you've stated earlier, I find it find it very difficult and I'm very precautionary um, with regards to writing, e even citing some of the some of the research that's been out there. Um, I know that um, in the '80s, Spiegel did a couple of studies and, and looked at um, um, quality of life in in cancer patients, for example, and uh, and things along those lines. Um, um, so typically the kind of help that hypnosis can offer and the kind of things that you're doing or the typical issues that you work with in this area, could you tell us a little bit more about, about that? Uh, yeah, the, the most sort of typical areas you, you're going to be, I mean, is not necessarily the areas that people will expect. Um, no. the, the areas that you're going to see most people within the cancer unit for uh, will probably be various forms of anxiety. Uh, which is not a surprise, you know. No, you've been no. cancer, you're on a cancer journey, so so you're going to deal a lot with anxiety, uh, as, as probably anxiety and depression and worry or various combinations are probably going to be the most common thing that you're going to deal with. Um, but then it's all the other things that then hangs off of that, um, because you'll, you'll find that uh, insomnia uh, is a great problem again with cancer patients. It could be down to worry, could be down to medication. Um, we get uh, other issues that we deal with. Um, such as, as food issues because they can't eat certain things or they need to eat certain things or they need to put weight on. So, so it's, al it's almost the reverse of weight loss, if you, if you, if you like. Uh, and, and a lot of that's down to um, what we call dis dysgeisia, or dysgeisia, however you want to pronounce it, which yeah. is uh, a lot of the chemotherapy can actually change the taste buds or, or the sensations of it so things start to become metallic in taste. Uh, and texture so that uh, that thing food stuffs and drinks aren't, aren't as desirable as they used to be uh, so again we can try and use hypnotherapy to actually get them back or get them back on track so they can enjoy things again yeah. uh, other areas we we look at is um quite a common one is um, anticipatory nausea uh, which right. again uh, is is a, a, a of byproduct of, of chemotherapy yes um we do a lot of work with pain control um, and again, that, that can be all sorts of, uh, of things because that you can have obviously the pain from, from the cancer itself. Um, but you can find that things like radiotherapy um, cause internal burning and so on. Um, so, so you'll find that, uh, you know, you, you'll get pain there that, that's required. Um, we do a lot of um, a lot of work with fear, guilt, that type of things, fear of loss of control. Um, and even things like uh, confidence, self-esteem, it, it all takes a hit in people. Uh, and a lot of phobias, uh, again, probably the most common phobias we get. Um, ne needle phobia is probably the number one. <laughs> um, uh, you know, having pick lines put in, uh, drips, needles and the chemotherapy, that, that type of thing. Um, uh, uh, followed by um, fear of anaesthetic, operations, pre-surgery work. Um, and quite a lot of claustrophobia. Um, I find there's a lot of uh, issues with claustrophobia. The two most common ones is ones going into um, for MRI scans. Yeah. Uh, but the the really big one is in a lot of um, head and neck cancers. Um, people actually have to have a, a mask made uh, that that oh, really? uh, fits into the. Yeah, so because if they're having radiotherapy, um, they have to be very very still. And unfortunately, what they have to do is they make, they they cast a mask of their face, and then basically they have to wear that and they're bolted down so that the head, neck, and everything is bolted down to a table yeah. with this full size face mask actually holding them down. And that, that can freak quite a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, oh, I bet it can. I bet it can. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, there's there such a wide range of wide range of issues. And is there is there then a kind of special consideration that that that? I mean, would you would you tend to 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 deal with 
um, cancer patients in a different way than you would somebody that that, that that did not have cancer or or for example are there some some special considerations whereby you might just you might not necessarily take it for granted that they have as long a life ahead of them as, as others or things along those lines you know and, and just kind of assuming or making making commentary about you know future occasions and future pating as some people may do for example are there a number of sort of precautionary measures that you or special considerations that you have to take into account uh, you do have to take that type of thing into account, yeah, for, for any future pacing and, and and that type of thing, because uh, you, you need to remember that a lot of the patients that you're going to see, um, the prognosis is terminal. Uh, so obviously there's there's no point in tell you know giving them suggestion on how no. wonderful the future's going to be and Absolutely. what are you going to do this time next year, you know, on your holiday, because th that, that's just not going to happen. You know, I'd... Um, uh, I, I remember talking in my early days, talking to a guy uh, of a similar age to myself, and we found we we had some things in common. And uh, attending a certain types of music co um, concerts was, was one of the things we had in common. We used to chat about that type of thing, yeah. and uh, and uh, and I just happened to mention that a band that he mentioned that he liked uh, were touring, and uh, or, or I had planned some concerts. I think for about eight months down the line, and I said, "Oh, I, I've got tickets to go and see them." Um, you know, have you? Did you know they were touring? Uh, and, and it was just a, a real eye-opener for me. He said, um, yeah. well, no, I, I have to buy tickets from the touts um, just a couple of days before the concert because I don't know whether I'm going to be here that long. And, yeah. and, and that, that was sort of quite an eye-opener, sort of, you know, whack around the head. Yeah. Uh, because of, so you do have to be very, very careful on that side of it. Um, a lot of people, uh, again, people tend to go into two ways with this. Um, and it goes on to, to the area really of PNI, psycho, psychoneuroimmunology. Yes. Um, because a lot, a lot of the problem is that um, phraseology and communication with cancer patients is very, very important um, because you need them to accept the diagnosis, not the prognosis. Um, because diagnosis, if you like, is a non-variable fact, but prognosis is a variable. And, yes. and the prognosis itself could, could be used as an indirect suggestion. Um, and it can and that can induce the fear response and all sorts of other things and you know end up as a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. if somebody says hey, you've got three months to live you know that that's an indirect suggestion yeah. or even a, you know yeah. and quite often that will happen whereas a lot of the patients i tend to deal with um they don't want to look at that side they, they want to know how they can fight it or live longer um feel happier so so they can try and combat it um which again is where the idea of pni comes in we, we do some experimental work um just using work uh, sort of techniques to to try and stimulate the work of the immune system yeah yeah and do people you know d despite or, you know, you strike me as as a as the absolute consummate professional. Do people try and bend your will a little bit with regards to that, and 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 try and help you, or, or make suggestions that 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 you somehow treat it, or make them better, or things along those lines? Uh, funny enough, no, they don't. I've never had anybody doing that. I mean, I mean, I think most people, the layman, will will be sensible enough to know that hypnotherapy can't cure cancer yes. and you can't work with the cancer itself unfortunately you do get the ones that, that get very desperate and I, i've seen it so many times where they'll come in and they say oh, i found this online or i found this online and or somebody in germany is doing this or i yeah, can buy exactly. this um th there is a lot of that type of stuff yeah. um uh, where i i always turn yeah. around and say no we, we can help you on your journey um the, the nearest i will go with it is is with the pni um area yeah. 
because there, there is a lot of interesting evidence there, yeah. uh, good empirical evidence, but obviously we can't, um, if you like, link that with, with treating of cancer. But what I say to people is that um, we can do some experimental work um, that might have a, a positive impact on you, uh, and that's as far as we go. So yeah. that was where we would look at doing work with the immune system or perhaps trying to imagine the, the immune system sort of eating the cancer cells or looking at patterns and changing the pattern. You know, yeah. you know, we're using all sorts of sub-modalities to, to change things around, uh, but only on the, the proviso that, that we're doing experimental work that may have an impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, the, the evidence base for for advancing immune functioning using hypnosis is is really encouraging, isn't it? Um, it is. I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes it makes a huge amount of sense. I get that. Um, um, now, Gary, I know that I, I, I would be very, very happy just talking to you nonstop about this subject right now. Um, tell me. I'm. I'm. And you know, I'm going to be jumping in. Um, to your lecture room when you're speaking on this subject at the UK Hypnosis Convention. I, I'm right, aren't I, that you're going to be speaking on this at the UK Hypnosis Convention later on this year? Uh, that's correct. I believe it's on, on the Saturday, around Saturday lunchtime, I believe. Okay. Um, I, I need to, well, I, I was going to say I need to edit it down, um, but saying that, I haven't actually written it yet. So I don't, but uh, originally um, I planned to do a two hour presentation on it because I'm also presenting at HypnoThoughts Live in um, Vegas at the end of the month. Yeah. And they've asked me to do a two hour presentation on it, um, which is what I was, uh, what I'm in the process of writing. And then uh, because we've got so many great speakers on in London, uh, in November, yeah. um, they've asked me whether I could knock it down to an hour so we can accommodate so some of the other wonderful people there. So, uh, yes, I will be talking on it, but um, it, it will be a, a slightly edited version <laughs> than, than uh, in Vegas. Yeah. But uh, for, for those that are going to be that are interested in, in learning more about it, um, I will actually be putting on a, a masterclass in February in London, uh, actually, for, for I think it's the 23rd or 24th of February. So whatever the, the, the nearest um, Saturday is to, to the um, end of February. And that, oh, that'll be at uh, Birkbeck University. That, that's in planning stages at the moment. And you'll be and you'll announce that on your Facebook page. I will, yes. When I finish writing it, and it, it won't be until after I've come back from Vegas, certainly. But uh, yes, we will start start announcing that uh, and putting the, the day together on exactly what I'm going to teach. Because there's there's so many things that I would like to teach and say that that um, that you really can't get into one day. And I, I don't want to expand it into to more than one day um, because I think that puts a lot of people off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does, which is a shame, I think, because <clears> you know, I'm. I'm I, I I really appreciate anybody that's really thorough or attempts to be exhaustive with their subject matter, especially when it's as serious a subject matter as the one um, as the one that, that, that you're specialising in here. Um, um, it, you know, it's it's really, really wonderful hearing you speak about this. And I hope it piques the interest of lots of our listeners um, um, who will go and start asking you some questions about it. And um, I'm taking an interest in it because I think there's there's a lot of really great work to be done with 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 this this application of hypnosis out there um, oh, well, there is if you, if you look at um, i mean it, it's an awful word to call it a market but if, if you look yes. from the side there that we're, we're now looking uh, at one in three people uh, are yeah. going to be affected by cancer at some time in their lifetime yeah so that, that's a very huge amount of people that that can uh, can do with some help yeah absolutely that would benefit um from and and, and have the quality of life advanced as a result um um 
I really appreciate hearing uh, uh, and thank you for, 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 for being so generous with your information and sharing so much, Gary. Um, um, for anybody listening, you want to go and um, uh, learn a little bit more about Gary's work. Um, as we mentioned earlier on, uh, there will be a link to Gary's uh, Facebook page and his website over at this episode's uh, page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. But that is facebook.com forward slash release hypnotherapy to go and track down Gary. Um, um, Gary, thank you yeah. for being this week's guest on Hypnosis Weekly. Uh, thank you very much. It's been, been a pleasure. And I look forward to meeting up with you in uh, London. At, yeah, uh, in very Canada. much. And sharing a gin. Yes, or a beer or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Some fascinating stuff in there. My thanks again to Gary. Um, um, Gary, I mean, signalling at the end there, clearly more keen on beer than gin. Um, um, for those who follow any of my social media output, uh, you would have seen it was my birthday this past week. Yes, a belated happy birthday to me. And I was bought a lot of gin of varying types. I took photos and shared them because that's what you do with Instagram these days. And I think I just assume that everyone just loves gin as much as I do. Uh, anyway, enough meaningless digression, Adam. You've got a show to complete before you click into holiday mode. So on to this week's evidence-based hypnosis factoid. And the fact of the week is this. Self-hypnosis has been used to advance quality of life following height, heart bypass surgery. Heart bypass surgery. Let's uh, get my get my mouth around that. So, um... This is a study by Ashton and colleagues uh, in 1995 that examined the effects of self-hypnosis on quality of life following coronary artery bypass surgery. Self-hypnosis was primarily used as a relaxation technique within this study and patients in a self-hypnosis group were taught self-hypnosis the night prior to surgery, whereas the control group received no such training. Those trained in self-hypnosis were significantly more relaxed than those in the control group and some successful improvements were also noted in relation to depression, anger and fatigue following the bypass surgery. The, the authors state that they believed the results might have been greater if the subjects could have been taught self-hypnosis days earlier in order to develop the self-hypnosis skill. And certainly my own work and my own research um, um, has, has, has shown and demonstrated a correlation between self-hypnosis and self-efficacy. Um, so yes, that's it. Uh, the fact of the week uh, this week, uh, self-hypnosis um, um, advances quality of life following heart bypass surgery. A link um, to this research paper and the details are included on this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. And that's it for this week's 81st edition. I do have many more exciting guests that are welcome to Hypnosis Weekly when we return in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, we'll be discussing, debating, celebrating and above all remaining friends. And next time out we have a special edition lined up. Um, all the references made in the discussions along with related links are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website www.hypnosis-weekly.com I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions so do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website. I'll make sure they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, anywhere else and really help us reach the hypnosis field. Um, it's greatly appreciated. My thanks again to this week's guest, Gary Coles. My thanks to you for tuning in. Um, we'll be back after our holidays. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, 
goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.